Good to see you all. You all still smiling and happy? Who's ready for a holiday? Some of you? Yeah. It's at June. It's mid-June. It's like, get me to July. Hurry up. Uh, why don't you turn around and say hello to somebody? If you're a visitor, you're really welcome. Come on. Go along and say hello to somebody. And uh, I know we love community down here. Yeah, just a, um, our Kingdom Come conference, uh, just to, to really give that a bit of a plug. Um, uh, Zoe's already said it. There is a video coming this week. We need to put some, some uh, our, when, your, when your graphic design guy goes on holidays in June rather than July. So, uh, but uh, I do, I, I want to say something that I've been working on that one for about a year. And, um, you know, we were to do a conference in March a couple of years ago and COVID came and Jordan's busting to get back here. I mean, he's, he's half Irish uh, somewhere inside of him. And he's like, I really need to go back. And uh, I pulled a really good favor for him because every year he comes, he has to trips team. And because Christine travels a lot, Christine always gets the upgrade, upgrades. So Jordan had to sit down at the back, in the back with all of that. And he's like, he always says, like, comes out tired and, and half dead. I managed to get, and he doesn't know this yet, I managed to get Conrad, my wee pal, to get him on the upgrade list. So he's going to be coming first class. He just doesn't know that yet. So he's, he's going to get a wee blessing for coming and all of that. But uh, he's actually bringing a team of 35 of his ex-third-year students, most of whom have all been to Ireland, so people who have been here before. So they're going to come and be our team. But uh, the one thing I'm really excited about is Chuck Parry is the director of Bethel Healing Rooms. And uh, I spent some time with him when I was over the last time. And it's actually quite staggering how this, this man has miracles follow him. He, he says, and I believe him, that he's probably had somewhere about 7,000 healings in his ministry. Uh, he's coming over. He's one of our key speakers. But also during that time, we're actually going to have a, we always had a prophetic tent and open skies and things like that. We're actually going to have a healing tent for three and a half days. And, uh, you know, you'll be part of that. Come in and be involved with all of that. Um, you know, there's not glamping. There's just normal camping, okay? So get your tent. Come on ahead. Get to the bed and breakfasts before they go because they're already starting to fill up. But if you plan to come on site or maybe you know somebody in Antrim or it might be good for you to know somebody in Antrim, you can crash on their floor or something. So uh, get going on all of that. But I really want to encourage you, buy your tickets for that. We've tried to keep it as cheap as possible. We actually need about 1,300 tickets sold to break even. I am sweating it right now, okay? Not because I think I'm worried. I think we'll sell it. But it's the biggest conference was ever done. It's the biggest expense that we've ever put out. But I really feel the Lord's on it and I want to encourage you. We've got Upper Room coming. Some of you know Upper Room guys. Uh, Gable Price and Band are coming. Gable was a co-write on Homecoming, you know, the song that Bethel wrote. Gable's a, a good lad. Christine's coming. We've got Amy Rose and David Funk, all, all Bethel worship folks. So quite a good worship. We've got a whole array of speakers. And I'm working on, on a couple of other speakers that we want to add to that. But I really want to encourage you just to stick that out. And also, um, Impact Week, put out your diaries and put those, put those times off. Anyway, we're in our, our new series on, on the book of Colossians. And I'm looking at chapter two today. I know you had Julia last week. She was in chapter three. So we're jumping about a bit. But hopefully that'll be okay and you'll, you'll figure it out. And, um, but the passage that I want to look at today is um, it concerns religious legalism uh, in the New Testament. And uh, I think the text potentially will hopefully recalibrate a little bit of what you believe. And I want to say this, this is actually one of my favorite passages uh, in scripture. Whenever I was at college, one of the things we had to do when we're studying uh, Greek, I actually learned English better because if you don't know English, which I didn't, it's very difficult to learn, learn decent Greek. So in order to learn Greek, I had to fix my English. Uh, but one of the things that I had to do was translate Colossians 2 into the Greek. 
only to be challenged and realize that the, uh, the, some of the translations that were written today actually weren't accurate. So the NIV has some very uh, massive inaccuracies. And you begin to realize that it challenges your thinking and what actually does the scripture have to say. So it is important that we read through the lens of what, uh, what, what the scriptures are actually trying to communicate. But it's one of the most powerful writings that Paul, in addressing this church, writes on legalism. And Paul, Paul had never visited this church. He had never been to the church. He knew the church planter. But the church in, 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 in Colossae was one of these churches that... that, that reputation was really going ahead of them. And they didn't have like what we have today where you've got a community of 25 churches and you've got all different kind of, they had one church and everybody with different ideas came to this one church. And Paul consistently must have like pigeon posts where he keeps his ear to the ground because he seemed to know always what was going on. It's like me, I, I always know what's going on. <laughs> but it's like, it's that, that ear to the ground to go, hey, and what he does, he writes these letters and this is one of the greatest letters that if you want to understand this, it's called Pauline theology. And Paul, maybe with the exception of Galatians, you see here in Colossians, these two incredibly deep, meaty uh, Bible uh, um, chapters and, and verses that, that, even though they say something in English, have this incredible depth behind them that you don't always get in some other of the letters. And Paul writes different letters. He writes letters that's kind of like as a friend to a church planter. Hey, really encourage what you're doing. And then he also writes these other letters where he's much more deliberate in correcting theological standards, correcting in detail. And that's what he does in, in, in this letter. And you see he comes along, this particular group of Christians and Jews had come together and the church had found themselves going down a road of, of legalism. And he was correcting the church planter to pull it back from the religious things in order to uh, to get back to true worship uh, within, within the church. Um, uh, historically, in journey, we've never taught what I'm going to call exegetically. Uh, now, if you're from the brethren, you'll know what that means. If you're from the Catholic background or charismatic background, you'll have no idea what that is. Uh, and in journey, we haven't always taught this way. But we'll, we'll, let me explain what I mean. Um, we've always taken the scripture applied, teach it to you in order to help you uh, evangelize, outreach, and live your life on a Monday through to Thursday. Uh, so it can sometimes not be that, but uh, we've never been a church to set up to be a teaching in the sense that we teach uh, all the time from a Sunday and we work our way through. So exegetical would be to take a, a verse and work your way down through that chapter and teach uh, uh, first by first. We, we've never done that, but I'm gonna do that today. It's the first time in Journey uh, other than last week that, that, I've, that I've done this. I had planned to do the whole chapter and then ran out of way run out of time. That will probably happen today, but we'll see how we go. But I'm also going to make it a little bit easy for you because uh, one of the translations is the message. And uh, uh, it's, uh, sorry, interpretation. It's not a translation. The message is interpretation of a translation, but it's a really good one. And actually, I think it brings out the flavor of what Paul's trying to actually say in this. So if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to read this. It's from 6 through to the end of the passage in Colossians 2, and I'm reading it from the, the message version. And we really need a new headset because these things stick in your ear. Anyway, this is what it says. You ready? Put your seatbelts on. It's a good one. My counsel to you is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead with what you've been given. You receive Christ Jesus, the master. Now live him. You're deeply rooted in him. You're well constructed upon him. You know your way around faith. Now do what you've been taught. School's out. Quit studying the subject and start living it. And let your living spill over into thanksgiving. Watch out for people who try to dazzle you with big words and intellectual double talk. 
They want to drag you off into endless arguments that never amount to anything. They spread their ideas through the empty traditions of human beings and the empty superstitions of spiritual beings. But that's not the way of Christ. Everything of God gets expressed in him so you can see and hear him clearly. You don't need a telescope, a microscope, or a horoscope to realize the fullness of Christ and the emptiness of the universe without him. When you come to him, that fullness comes together for you too. His power extends over everything. Entering into the fullness is not something you figure out or achieve. It's not a matter of being circumcised or keeping a long list of laws. No, you're already in. You're an insider. Not through some secret of initiation, right? But rather through what Christ has already done through you, destroying the power of sin. If it's an initiation ritual that you're after, you've already been through it by submitting to baptism. Going under the water was the burial of the old life. Coming up out of it was a resurrection. God raising you from the dead as he did Christ. When you were stuck in your old sinful dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven. I love this bit. The slate wiped cleaned. The old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to the cross of Christ. He stripped all spiritual tyrants in the universe and shamed their authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. So don't put up with anyone pressing you in the details of diet, <laughs> worship, services, and holy days. All those things are mere shadows cast before what was to come. The substance is Christ. Don't tolerate people trying to run your life, ordering, uh, ordering you to buy and scrape. Instead, that, that they join in with their obsessions with angels, that you seek out visions. They're a lot of hot air. That's all they are. They're completely out of touch with the source of life, who is Christ, who puts us together in one piece, whose very breath and blood throws through us. He is the head and we are the body. We can grow up healthy in God only as he nourishes us. I'll not even bother doing the rest of it because I'll never get to it today. And this is one of my favorite passages. And there's a lot, a lot of truth in this. And the reason why I love the message is because it gives us this intelligent depth to help us understand what Paul was actually trying to say. And it's one of the ones that I read regularly over and over again because it, it, I always find new things in it. But let's dig in today. This is what it says. My counsel to you is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead and get on with what you've been given. You receive Christ Jesus the master. Now live in him. Now listen to this, you're deeply rooted in him, you're well constructed upon him, you know your way around faith, now do what has been taught, schools out, quit studying the subject and start living it, and let your living spill over into thanks, uh, thankfulness. Um, uh, Paul, Paul is talking to a mature church, a church that has got uh, uh, a lot of people from the Jewish background who really understood the scriptures. Um, and they were a charismatic church in the sense that they had this incredible touch of the Holy Spirit. And Paul writes into this a church probably going for about 25 years. It had a group of people coming in. I'm going to talk a little bit about the group of people that, that they attracted. But what he did was he was trying to move this church along. And what he was saying was this, was that, and I suppose it's a little bit like our church. When we first started here, we set a church up, and especially in Antrim, maybe not so much here. But what we had was we had this group of people who were kind of new and young in faith. They didn't know much about spiritual life. They didn't know much about scripture. And they come through an Alpha course and they come in. And what happens is this, the church uh, tends to lean towards these new believers to bring them along the road. 
And uh, as a church begins to grow over a period of time, as, as people mature and grow and disciples begin to mature and grow, the idea is that you, you, you don't get to a point and then stop. And the problem is this church got to a point and then stopped. And, and what they did was they do what a lot of churches today do is they, they begin to gather around a group of people who, who all look the same, act the same, and talk the same. And they have Bible study and they do the church thing. And Paul's coming in in this first bit of this and he's saying, hey, yes, you are a mature church, but you can't just sit here. And what he's saying is they've had this alpha group of people, they've come in, they've learned things of God, now they're stuck here and now he's saying, you've got this faith, you've got this growth, now it's time to move on. Stop studying it. You know, one of the reasons why we don't deliberately, and I say this deliberately uh, because it's meant to provoke, is we don't necessarily do Bible studies here. And it's not that we don't study the Bible or do Bible studies. We do. Some of you have been to them. But one of the things that I think the church has had problems of over the years is in Northern Ireland, we come up in a culture where education is by far too high on people's agenda. Now, don't get me wrong. We, we want to be well-educated. You go to a, 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 an African nation, education is really key for them. But we have this incredible high standard, and we're brought up in a culture which is teach me more, feed me more, give me more information so that I can learn to do what with? So that you have more information, that you, you learn things better, or that we're meant to take what we're learning and then get out of it and go and do something with it. Unfortunately, the church, and I think Paul was addressing a church that was doing something very similar. The church today has a similar problem, an epidemic of feed me. Fat sheep who come to church and just want to be fed all the time. I've said this before and I'll say it again. Um, if you are coming here to get fed, I want to ask you how old you are. Are you six months? You know when you're in the, in the, in the pram feeding a baby and you got the carrots? Here comes the plane, open up your mouth. And the problem is the church, as someone came in tantrum a couple of years back and said, yeah, I went to a previous church. I said, what church do you go to? I went to a previous church. And I said, oh, well, why have you left? Why are you coming here? He said, oh, they stopped feeding me. And I said, well, you're not going to get fed here any different, so you may leave here too. And the idea is that you learn to feed yourself. I mean, if I was still feeding Ethan or Aaron at their age today, you, you, there would be a problem. There really would be a problem. It would be weird. We wouldn't think. And yet the church, this is what Paul's saying. You're, you're, you're wanting this feed. You're wanting this food. But actually get out and do something with it. Stop, stop sitting where you're stuck. Let me ask you a question. What makes a mature church? What, 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 what makes you well established? I don't think there's anybody in this room isn't particularly, for the most part, well established in the kingdom of God. And what do you do? Well, we come to church and we have nice worship and, and we do all of that. And that's a byproduct, but that's not the idea of the church. The idea of the church is to move you along and that we create disciples who create disciples who create disciples. I, I love that, that I've got these disciples. I was in um, a, a restaurant, a cafe in the town a couple weeks ago, and I noticed a group of journey people in third day ha having a discussion about God. And I noticed the two instigators were two people that came to my house when they were 14 and we taught them how to do this stuff. And, and I went out of the place skipping because it was the first time I thought, yes, this is actually working. Somebody's actually doing discipleship that's not just me. And I sneaked out and I went and did a wee happy dance around the corner because it was one of those times when you just went, at last it's beginning to work. 
the church are actually beginning to understand how this discipleship works. And Paul comes along and he addresses this mature church who actually were immature. And he says, hey, you're lacking a faith movement. You're lacking a moving forward. Even though you know all this stuff, even though you're Christians, even though you've been taught it for years, you're stuck in a moment. Now, quit studying it. Quit going after this stuff and start getting out. And he says something interesting. He says, let your life go out into the world in thankfulness. You know, Christians are meant to be the most thankful, happy, contented people on the planet. And in our country, not so much. And, and <laughs> I got stopped a couple of weeks ago um, uh, by someone in the town. And they were like, um, John, you, you get a hard time in Antrim. Uh, yeah, well, well kind of got my first hate mail. Uh, I, got a, I got a letter uh, to the church addressed to Pastor John Ash, spelt without an E. Um, and it was quite interesting. It was, it was a giggle. If, if, the truth was, if the truth in the letter was true, I'd be very happy, but it wasn't. And uh, it was one of those ones where they didn't sign anonymous. And I'm like going, yes, you know you've made it when you're getting hate mail in the post. I'm going to put it up in a frame and put it in my office to remind me of the call of God in your life. And, uh, and uh, you know, because these things, they, they literally don't bother me anymore. They, they used to. Five years ago, that has sent me. But it doesn't anymore. Why? Because the moment you start stirring the pot and you start doing things in the community, if you're not stirring the pot, then you're not doing it right. You're too safe. And what are we like in Northern Ireland? We love our safety. Put your seatbelt on. Keep it safe. Don't, don't, don't confront. Don't challenge anybody. And then they meet me. Anyway. And, and what happens is Paul comes along and he's, he's challenging this, this group of Christians who've been Christians for a long time to move forward. And I'm challenging you today. You've been around the faith for 30, 40 years, some of you. And you're going, is this it? No, it's not. And if you haven't found the next stage, then that's on you and not God. It's because you've went, well, I like my retirement and that's, that's for them young cubs to do. I don't want to do that. That's not what Paul addresses here. And, and the idea of, of being challenged in faith and Paul challenging these long-term Christians was that he wanted you to become disciple makers. I want to say this. You cannot do mass discipleship. I've tried. It doesn't work. Discipleship can actually truthfully only be done one-to-one. -one. It can't be done in, in bulk. I have tried my best. It doesn't work. Discipleship comes when you sit down for a cup of coffee with, with Thomas and, and you lay into him. Not, not because I don't love him, but you kind of go, hey, I, 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 who, who's not seen him grow? Who's not seen him mature? Who's not seen him come into everything that God's called him to be in destiny in a very short period of time? Why? Well, because he's on the phone going, how to do this? What to do with that? He's, he's pushing out and growing and hungry for what? More of the things of God. How do I do this? How do I do this leadership thing? How, how, do, I, how do I manage difficult people? There's no difficult people down here. I said, Tucker, you should come to Antrim. I'll give you a few difficult people. You've got nice people down here. And uh, well, what am I saying in that? I'm saying that's the discipleship process. But that doesn't happen here. That happens on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday when we're meant to be discipling. And if you're not discipling somebody, I want to ask the question, why not? Why not? Paul challenges you. And then, he, and then he really starts to get in and he lays into this church and he says, he says you're not doing the stuff anymore. You're coming to church, you're getting taught, but you're not doing the stuff. I, I love Aswan. Aswan is a big fan of doing the stuff. 
all right? You know Aswan, right? And, uh, you know, Aswan comes into church and he, you know, the new folks that come into Antrim will get a lot of visitors at the minute and they come in and there's Chirper Aswan at the door waiting for them. Come on, I'll show you around. Whether they want to be shown around or not doesn't actually matter. But they just chirp. And there's this thing coming out where, where people kind of go. And, and if you're only doing the stuff in small group or church, you're not actually doing the stuff. I'm going to say something that is, is going to rattle you and it's biblical, all right? If you're not discipling people and moving forward in your faith, you're not a follower of Christ. Let me say that again. If you're not discipling somebody, you're not a follower of Christ. Because Jesus said, go go and make disciples. And if you're not making disciples, you're not doing what Jesus asked us to do. So my question is this, who are you discipling? Now, some of you are sitting there going, I couldn't disciple a mouse out of a hole. How could I even do that, John? Well, can I tell you how you learn? You actually have to go and find somebody to disciple you first. It's called the rabbinical. It's what Jesus did. They picked a bunch of these young lads and they held to the hems of their garment and they listened to them, their teaching. They followed them around and they watched them. They watched them doing what Jesus did. And then they had a, a debrief afterwards. Jesus, when you did that, what, how did that you know, when you had that miracle, what happened? And we don't see a lot of those from Scripture, but I can only imagine the chat around the campfire with the disciples later on the night after feeding the 5,000. Boys, wasn't that amazing? How'd you do that, Jesus? I just asked my father. But that, those two fish, like, that's a wild. Like, how could we feed all these people? Magic. No, that's, it was like, show me how to do it. Give me insight into this. Or, or do you remember, you remember, you know, Peter and Peter and Jesus had this funny relationship. Where it's like, how do I develop, how do you develop a Peter? Peter's a madman. He was the first one out of the boat in a storm. What would you all be doing? Hanging on my grim death, hiding down in a hole somewhere. And Peter's a madman. I go, Jesus, and out he goes. And, and we've lost the art, one in twelve. And it's true in the church, one in twelve are mad, mad people. All right? And it's every church is the same, all right? It's like you, you, you have these crazy disciples who do anything for the Lord, they're sold out. They'll sacrifice everything to give to Jesus. And what do the rest of us do? We'll let them do it for us. And yet, Paul comes along and he challenges the church. If you're not doing this stuff only within your small group, you're missing it out. Uh, a couple of years ago, I, um, in our counseling room before we had our building, we were down in Antrim Town uh, with a crummy counseling room anyway. But I discovered next door there was a girl who opened up a crystals and tarot card reading shop. And I was like, yes. Sat against the wall, casting out, geez, you know, no, I'm joking. And one day I said it would take a, a cup of tea and a coffee, just and I took her up, and I took her up in a bun at lunchtime. She was sitting in there by herself, and she was like, oh, thank you. So we had this whole conversation. And um, I said to her, I said, I, I said to her, uh, do you do readings? She says, yes, I do. Would you like one? Bring it on. Come on. And I asked her to give me a reading. She got her crystals out and she started doing some hemming in hand. And uh, she said, I'm not, I'm not really getting anything. And I said to her, I said, would, would you like a reading? She says, do you do readings? I says, yes, I do. I says, and mine's are free. She says, okay. And I started having this conversation with her and I began to prophesy to her. And before you know it, I had to go and get some tissues from the council room because she was crying her eyes out. I had never a reading like that before. He says, no, but you haven't met the man who gave you your reading. And why am I saying that? Because that's where the stuff is. 
That's where, and what are we doing? We're, we're doing the legalism that Paul, who goes on to, to point out here, which is, uh, can't go near that stuff, that demonic stuff. That's, that, that, that's the enemy. We can't, we can't touch that stuff. We're to steer clear of it. And yet we've lost a process in keeping legalism. Why? Because are we more scared of the things of the enemy than we are for the king of kings who lives inside of us? You, you need to learn to start doing stuff. Get out of your comfort zone. And then it goes on in 8 to 10. It says, watch out for people who try to dazzle you with big words and intellectual double talk. Anybody ever done that with anybody? Maybe you are the person with big words and intellectual double talk. Um, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Audrey Nolan trolled our Kingdom Come site. Anybody see it? I don't know why you saw it. It usually goes pretty quickly. I like to leave them up there, but Gary takes them down. And uh, Audrey Nolan, anybody know who that is? Stephen Nolan's mother, okay? Obviously a fake account. But they start trolling Julia and going, yes, it's not me for a change. But they're giving Julia a hard time on, 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 the, uh, on, on the, the Kingdom Come site. And I, I started giggling to myself and I'm thinking, 10 years ago, I'd have been in there like a shot. You've been down like this length on the keyboard warrior and, and getting into arguing. And, 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 and before you know it, you're into some deep conversation with usually either a religious crazy or someone who hates the church. Uh, you never seem to get normal people on there when they have a debate. Uh, maybe they're, they're wise. And, and you see this intellectual double talk and they drag you off into endless arguments that never amount to anything. They spread their ideas through empty human traditions and empty superstitions superstitions of spiritual beings but that's not the way of Christ everything God has expressed in him so you can see and hear him clearly you don't need a telescope microscope or horoscope to realize the fullness of Christ the emptiness of the universe without him when you come to him your faith uh, and the, the fullness comes together in you and the power extends over everything the church had a problem this church that Paul is tackling a group of people that have infiltrated the church they were called the Judaizers and you had this two very large groups of people that were in the one church building. How there wasn't a church split, though I'm sure there probably was later on. But at this point, there wasn't. And, and Paul, right the way through all the, the early churches, are realizing that there's this group of Judaizers that are, are really coming in with a culture of their own to come into the church and permeate the church. And we have a similar problem today. Now, I'm going to go into this, and this might offend some people, but since when did I ever worry about that? Um, and, and, and many people leave the church today because it doesn't suit them. You see, back in these churches, they didn't have a choice. They had to get on well together. But Paul starts to tackle the church planter and the church to deal with the Judaizers. Well, what were they doing? Well, these were the religious zealots that were coming in, and what they wanted to do is they wanted to... Um, they wanted to put all the Jewish rules, circumcision, uh, new moon festivals, um, uh, holy days, and they wanted to bring that into the church, and they wanted the church to observe their rules and laws and regulations. In the meantime, Paul's encouraging the church to remain faithful and true to the fullness of God, that you don't need to worry about these things. In fact, he says these things are a shadow of what's to come. And, and, and the reason why he said that was because it's not about keeping the law anymore, it's about understanding who you are in Christ and being fulfilled in all of that. And, and what happens is when people come in today, you leave a church, and we grow three ways generally in church in, in today's world, churches like ours. You, you mostly grow by transfer. It's like the, the transfer window in the Premier League's open at the minute. We're, we need some new players. We got rid of all our donkeys. Hopefully they go away and stay away forever. But it's a transfer season. And church has transfer season all year. 
And what, and what we do is, and here's what happens is, at the start, whenever we planted Journey Community Church in Antrim, we had about 60 people, and it was brilliant. We all thought the same. We worshipped the same. We, were, we had the same goals. We had the same objectives. We got together. We, we just were excited. And we got together in those early days, and we sung, you know, we sung all the same songs, and the anointing was great, and it was fantastic. And then we started church, and we started opening up to other people, and guess what happened? Well, all these other people started coming in. And then the ones that were here started going, it's not the same anymore. <laughs> Them new people coming in, throwing it for us. And, and what you began to happen, and we saw this, where we had all these cultures, different churchmanships, different, different things, coming in. And after a while, the person who'd been 40 years in the Baptist church, who has a little culture all by themselves start to get upset by our culture. Because we have a culture that we set. And, and they come in and they start going, oh, didn't do it like that in my church. It's not the same as it used to be. And, and you know, and someone said to me not long ago, we need to be doing communion every week. Someone said that to me about two months ago. I says, why? And they were like, well, I just think communion's really important. I said, I do too, but we do it once a month. Why, why do you think we need it every week? Well, what they had was they've got their Catholicism coming out of them, which ha hasn't really kind of left. But what they're now saying is, well, I need to take what was good for me and you now need to start doing it. And I went, no. Why? Because I have to be really true. And one of the things you'll get in Thomas and I and the team here is, is that I will protect the culture of the calling that God gave us from the very beginning. And I am uncompromising in that. And you'll get a grumpy John Ash if anybody starts to try and change that. And the reason for that is because what happens is you start to get this collective group of people coming together and all of a sudden you get 50 little cultures in a room together all fighting for their own little world. And, and Paul tackles these Judaizers and, and they come into the church and rather than keeping the main thing the main thing, they started getting into these arguments and they started, they started having a problem with each other and, and it didn't suit them and they get hurt and, and they didn't like the pastor, they didn't like the worship and they didn't like us and you see it today. And if you don't like the church you're going to, what do you do? Well, you just go and pick another one. These guys didn't have the luxury. Which forced an awful lot of difficult conversations. Well, what do we do? Well, when we fall out, we just start a new church. I, I know I did that. All right. Now, sometimes there's reasons and sometimes there's not. But actually, it's how God actually grew the church. Church splits. We don't like them, but that's how the church grew. And after a while, you had some people that theologically, well, I, I can't compromise on baptism anymore, so I'll start the Baptist church. And then we have the Baptist church, or the Presbyterians, or the Church of Ireland. And, and historically, you see the church for, why? Well, because the cultures that people really fought for hard became the core value. And the moment the core value theologically and orthodoxly got changed, the people go, well, I can't live with that anymore. And the church begins to separate. But Paul says, no, we're meant to be united in Christ. And if you stop bringing your wee culture and your ideas and your understanding into this mix, actually you'll learn something in the unification of my kingdom, seeking it first, that God actually begins to transform our lives from within. Do you know, I, I say to, to the team here regularly, I says, you know, like one of the difficulties that pastors have is we do have to deal with difficult people sometimes. All right? Yous are all lovely. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about Adram, okay? <laughs> but sometimes you get someone coming in and they're like, and sometimes you just have to learn to say, no, no, that's not happening. 
Now, that's, that's not, that's, now why am I saying that? Well, because if, if the culture, <laughs> thanks, if the culture, yes, if the culture is not set by what God has asked us to do in a, in a calling that's much bigger than just your culture, what happens is this, you will get very disappointed very quickly. And we see these arguments develop. Have you ever noticed how endless arguments are actually a sign of an immature believer and an immature church? And I think sometimes people come in and they want 52 life-changing messages over a year and 52 life-changing worship sets every year. And, and, and you want it to be on the mark every week. And, uh, and the problem is you can access thousands of sermons at the moment online that 25 years ago you couldn't do. And then what do you do? Thomas isn't Steve. You know who I'm talking about, Steve? Steve Furtock? You know him? And, or, 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 you know, John's not Chris Fallaton. And what we do is we begin to compare and we look at a virtual church and we say, well, why couldn't we have that here? No, because if that's what you think church is, you've got this all wrong. Do you know, faithfully going to church, any church that I committed to, four, 16 years in the Catholic church, four years in the Presbyterian church, I've been about a bit. Uh, three years in the world church. Anybody know what that is? That's, that's the backsliding stage, okay? Uh, half out, all right? And then you come back in the church and you commit in the church. And I, I, went, I went to a church and then I went to CFC. I was there for 23 years and then we're on journey. And whatever you commit to, you commit to, even when it's rough. Even when the going gets tough. Even when the people don't like you or you don't like them. Because there's something to be taught in maturing you when you learn how to deal with difficult people. <laughs> I always say to our team, when a difficult person comes in, look after them well. Learn the skill set of loving them, helping them, and discovering them. Why? Because if you don't, God's got a sense of humor. He sends you six more. <laughs> and, and what happens to this is, our local community do not need another bickering church. They have seen it endlessly. The news is full of churches at the moment that are just falling apart out of endless bickering. And sometimes it's theological. And I can live with a church that splits on doctrinal values. But 99.9% .9 of the churches that split don't split over doctrinal challenges. What do they split over? Culture, personalities. And what happens is we end up getting drawn into endless arguments where we'll lead to nothing. Listen, church, time to grow up. We need to get past this. The second thing that, that Paul points out here is don't go Lone Ranger. He, he challenges the church here that this idea of, of, of someone getting an idea. Can I say this? If you ever see a ministry that said something like, John Ash Ministries, worry. Okay? If you see a, an independent soul with a ministry, you only need to go on some of the God TV channels just to get a, get, get, get a good hunt of that. If you see somebody promoting their own ministry, Panic run away for a mile. Now, I'm not saying there's not some good people that have that. I think there is. But generally speaking, that's not what God set the church up for. We're actually called to bring our gift sets in and we actually have the ministry of Christ together in the fivefold ministry. But, but for, for too much what happens is when you've fallen out and you can't get the arguments right anymore, you then go off and you go and do your own thing. And in Northern Ireland, we just seem to be really good at that. I, I was reading a thing this week on revival that took place during the uh, Harland and Wolf revival. And all these people lived up the Shankill Road. 
And when the Harlan and Wolf revival happened, I think it was probably 50s and 60s, um, uh, what happened was there was 19 churches on the Shankill Road. Seven years later, 141 churches on the Shankill Road. Now, I began to study it thinking, wow, that was serious growth. But I discovered that it wasn't. It was just people following out, following out and starting a new church. And it seems to be the Protestant way. Catholics aren't allowed to do that. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like, yeah, I'll follow up with the Catholic Church, going to start my own Catholic Church. You, you, you can't do it. And what happens is, you, you, you end up going to church, you get disgruntled, and then you don't go to any church. Because they're all rubbish, and the people in them are all rubbish. And I've seen it a thousand times, you end up going rogue. And, 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 well, I don't need to go to church, I can watch online. Yes, you can, you can do that. There's plenty of those things to do. But you'll not grow. You'll not flourish. And there's something getting a mix, and I always say down here is an interesting mix. You're like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. And everyone's a little surprised when you bite into it. And, and I love that. I love that that's what's here. But can I say, we're 60, 70 people regularly on a Sunday. I think there's about 95 adults and about 45 young people on the church suite books that belong to Downpatrick. Okay? But in a, in a few months' time, we're going to be moving to a new building. We're going to put the, the, the all singing, all dancing stuff in there. At least we're going to try. It's a bit, bit different now. <laughs> and and what, what's going to happen is people are going to see something change because at the minute we're, we're, we're kind of weird things down here. But after a while we begin to go and we start reaching out to the community, we start doing more of this stuff. After a while they're going to see, and guess what's going to happen? 50, 60, 100 little cultures are going to start coming in here. And many of you know you have your own culture. And the problem with going rogue sometimes is this, is that, that you have a culture all to yourself. You ever notice that? And some people have got nice cultures and some people have not so nice cultures. And if you come in here having been burnt by three other churches and you have a little bit of bitterness and toxicity because of failed church leaders in the past, I guarantee you if you don't sort that out very quickly, guess what happens around here? We'll be number four, and you'll be off again. And you have a culture, whether you like it or not. It's called a personality. It's called a what comes out of you. And, and Paul actually, without kind of going in it, subtly ta- tackles the people's culture. He says, Christ and the church has a culture. But if you come in with your culture and your, what you think needs to be done and right, Christ is going to win and the church is going to win every time. And, and if you don't understand that when you come into this place, if you don't deal with your nonsense very early on, you will sorely get disappointed and off you go again. And I have serial church bouncers. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I've, we've had people that leave. I've come to Journey Antrim. They leave, do the circle, come back again. Have left us, are doing the circle, and are back now for the third time. And you're like, it's like Dougal, the magic roundabout. Anybody remember that? <laughs> Sibbity. And you're like, deal with your stuff. Because it's the hurt and your own culture. That, can I say this? If you've come here with a culture that's been 40 years in another church and you want us here to change to you, I'm going to say it straight, it ain't happening. And if you then get upset with that, you're going to get upset with me and you're probably going to take yourself off. And I would encourage you to do that.
If you've been 40 years in a traditional church, you come here and go, well, you should do that in my old church. Why aren't you there? <laughs> well, you should do the worship that way. Yes, why are you here? And, and, and I am being a wee bit flippant, but I want you to understand something. This is what Paul's trying to get to. And, and the Lone Ranger thing is really important. You see, the struggle and the growth in discipleship comes when you go through hard times. Honestly, you grow more in the difficult days. If you don't like difficult days, I challenge you to have a few difficult days and enjoy them. It's, it's a weird concept. I didn't always think like that. I didn't want difficult days. Now I thrive in them because you learn something. I, I was seeing, I, I see Julia for counseling, but I started seeing Mark, who's her boss. He's over in, in Puerto Rico. And Mark's an interesting fellow. I know him one day to do a counseling session with him. And for an hour, an hour solid, he talked about shell gas in the Gulf of Mexico. But, but yeah, and he, he, got, he, he went into detail, how many pipes there was, how the gas worked, all these things. And he says, right, see you next week. And away he went. And I come off the call going, what in the name of goodness was that all about? I come on here to get my soul straight, and you're talking about shell gas in the Gulf of Mexico? And all week it disturbed me. All week it rattled me. All week I was like, what are you at, you crazy man? And I got on to him, and he'd come on the next week. I was ready for him. <laughs> you wasting my time. And he just sat with a wee giggle on his face. And he said, John, what have you learned through this? I says, that I don't really want to know anything about shell gas. He went, exactly. He says, it's easy to do the things you're good at and the things you want to do. But true growth comes in doing the things that you don't want to do. And I thought, I've learned something today. I started to watch YouTube videos on shell gas in the Gulf of Mexico. If you want to know anything more about it, I can happily tell you. <laughs> Studied it in 10. Why? Because what Mark was trying to do was increase the knowledge, not for the things I was good at, but the things that I needed to get better at. And I realized what he was trying to do was show me that educationally, I had a history where I used to think I was stupid. I, I, I was dyslexic in school, had a stutter, and up to 16, education became a problem for me. So what did I want to do? Well, I did the things that I enjoyed doing. You know, I love doing history and reading the scriptures and reading about revival history. Uh, Hermeneutical Spiral by T.L. Osborne, not so much. But Mark was saying, hey, do the difficult things. Why? Because you will grow as a better disciple in all of that. And that's what Paul's challenging this church to do. And I am so far out of time, it's unbelievable. Um, and the, the, the concept of, of this idea that, that when you go through these difficult times and you challenge yourself, there's this incredible growth. Um, number three, I want to talk a little bit about in this one is hyper-spirituality and an increased focus on the stranger things. Who's watching series three of Stranger Things? It's terrible. <sighs> it's all, anyway, leave that for another time. But Paul comes along and he's not only having a go at the Judaizers and, and the law. He comes along and he goes to the crazy charismatics. And he has a dig at them too. And over here we've got, we've got the Jews who are, get your circumcision and get all of your law sorted out and you need to observe the new moon and over here. And then he comes over here and he says, see you guys are obsessed with angels? He says, you're mad too. Stop it. Visions and dreams? Stop it. 
you're going to end up down some weird, fluffy, woofy, charismatic la-la land called Narnia. And, and he has a dig at both sides. And, and where we love to dig the religion, one of the things as a charismatic church, what do we steer clear of? Well, hyper-spiritualism is, a, is, a, is an area that I've watched very closely uh, in our church world for about 20 years now. And I want to say this straight up at the start. We love the prophetic. We love the anointing. We love the gifts of God. We biblically want to practice those gifts of God. We, we love, I, I pray for people, they fly through the air. I want to see people healed, restored, delivered. We cast out demons. We counsel mind, body, and soul. And that is all kingdom stuff. Straight up, that's this church, right? But if you come in here and all you ever talk about is visions, angels, and demons, which happens a lot in church streams like us, you become obsessed with something that I don't think is healthy and will mature you into maturity. And I've seen it a thousand times, demon chasers. I used to be one. I, I, out of all of ever in this room, I've cast out more demons over the years than I, at three o'clock in the morning, roll around with demons. Our children will tell you stories of screaming coming from our, our, our sunroom when they were children. And I realized that that wasn't very productive. And, and what I realized was this, was that when demons came along, I prided myself on being able to cast them out, even if the person didn't want them casted out. That's a whole other story for another time. But Paul starts to tackle this idea. Can I say something? I believe in angels. I, I've, I, I, remember, I remember a time in a church where we were at one time, and there was 25 of us worshiping, and the anointing was so crazy heavy in the room. And we all began to sing in tongues. And within about a three-minute period of time, this crescendo of 25 people literally felt like it moved to 25,000 people. And it was like the roof of the church building opened up and the chords and the heavenly voices began to worship with us. I've never experienced anything like that. Uh, there's a tape recording of it. There's, there's a few other things that have happened. I've heard it in other places happening, but I experienced this once and once alone. I have seen angel activity. I've watched angels move. I personally think I met an angel though I didn't know that at the time. It was only afterwards thinking back and go, I think that was an angel. So I believe in angel activity. But if I had got obsessed with the angel activity, rather than you know, being obsessed by the messenger rather than the person who's sending the messenger, we actually get lost down a road where we end up in trouble. Uh, deliverance ministry, we, we, we just don't do deliverance ministry the way that I used to. There's a reason for that. Because productivity-wise, I realize if we cast out demons out of people, they tend to come back a year later, usually a lot worse than they were when they first came. Because we were taking spiritual tools to try and fix psychological problems. And if you see anybody coming in that's obsessed by the demonic and all they ever talk about is the Holy Spirit and demons, I'm going to suggest to you that orthodoxly, orthodox in their lives and theologically in their lives, they are doing what Paul challenges not to do here. Now, I would rather lean more to the spiritual than maybe the law because of the church that we are. But if we get obsessed by these things and end up way over here, you will eventually go out of balance and you will collapse. And God wants us actually to find the radical middle. We grow more when we find his presence, his place, when we understand that the, if you're chasing the miracles and not the miracle giver, you're going to end up in our own place. Now, hear me. The miracles are a really good sign of the activity 
of the miracle worker. But I have seen people obsessed with the miracles, obsessed with spirituality, obsessed with the demon world. And you ask them to quote John 3.16, and they can't. Or have they ever led somebody to the Lord? And they say no. Are they discipling anybody? No, because they're that busy casting demons out of them. That you will lose your way spiritually. And Paul tackles this. And <laughs> finally, as I have 14 other pages to go, <laughs> the, enemy, the enemy's activity is real and true. And, and Paul tackles it here. And what he's saying is you don't need a horoscope. Uh, you don't need a tarot card reading, a telescope or a microscope to understand the things of the world. And, and he tackles this, this idea here in Scripture that the spiritual activity of the church needs to be really true and solid. Why? Well, because a lot of people out there just think it's weird. Like some, of the, some of the church stuff is weird. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I, I remember going to Spring Harvest in 1996 with a group of Presbyterian kids. And we were going to Air in Scotland, and we'd gone on a boat, and me and a couple of other leaders had drove them over there, as we'd done every other year. And we were late off the boat, and I said, leave your bags here, I'll assign your room, put your bags in the room, and I'll come down to the, the meeting where the young people were later on that night. So we spent an hour fixing all the rooms, got them all sorted out, got the keys all sorted out, arrived into the room, and there was a six-foot-two African bishop, mitre and all, praying for people, and the room had people scattered all over the floor. And anybody this man was praying for weren't just falling over. They were literally flying backwards. And these were the young people. So I went to look for my young people. And I'm kind of like stepping over people like this. And I'm like, what? And then I look down and there's one of our girls. And I'm looking at her going, what is going on? And she's lying on the floor with her hand in the air going, cuckoo. Cuckoo, 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 cuckoo. And I'm going, uh-oh, this is cuckoo. And I wasn't thinking about them. I was thinking, how am I going to explain this to their parents? <laughs> and this girl's down here, and she's, and she's cuckooing. And I'm looking at this going, this is oddly weird, because I feel the presence of God, but everything I'm seeing is nuts. And all these kids were all like doing weird things. There was a guy down the front, looked like he was on a pogo stick. I'm like, the church has lost the plot. This is spring harvest. Come here for 15 years. What is going on? And this girl's lying here and she's cooing. And eventually I get her up and I start talking to her. I'm like, what is going on? She says, oh, John, you're not going to believe what happened to me. I said, what's going on? She says, I had this amazing picture. She says, what was it? She says, well, it was kind of like Jesus, but I was a dove. And Jesus was a dove. And I found myself in space where I was right in underneath Jesus's wing. And it was the nicest experience of my life. And I'm like, why are you cooing? He says, I just felt like I needed to coo for Jesus. <laughs> I'm like, this is just dead weird. But the change in that girl's life after that was incredible. She met Jesus. I don't want to diss what God sometimes does. But I also know that that girl didn't stop there. She didn't stay there waiting for another cuckoo experience. 
She developed on into discipleship. She grew on for all of that. And actually the stranger things that came out of that actually meant that she grew and developed on and now is a leader in church, actually working full time in a church. Because the experience is amazing. But if we chase the experience and not the experience giver, we will end up getting stuck. And Paul tackles it head on. And with this I finish. Josh and Mario, do you want to come back? I had so much more to, more to say. Might say it another time. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Seek Jesus with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind. Seek healing from Jesus in your mind, your body and soul. We spent a long time taking spiritual tools to try and fix psychological problems and I've discovered it doesn't work. There's biblical tools that help us fix psychological problems. And there's spiritual tools that help us fix spiritual problems. And there's miracles that help us fix bodily problems. And actually, the trinity of human humanity and who, how we're made in the image of God is that if we only stay one side in the trinity, the Holy Spirit, which we love dearly, but actually the characteristics of God are the completion. And I don't have time to go into this, but there is a whole theological platform behind the whole book of Colossians about the Trinity and how bringing all of these Trinity characteristics of Jesus, of God the Father and of the Holy Spirit into our lives we, we get this incredible growth but if we only want the Holy Spirit and we love the Holy Spirit but we don't have much time for God the Father who disciplines and corrects or Jesus who teaches and disciples and the Holy Spirit who guides and what does he do? He convicts. We actually don't get the completeness of the gospel. We actually have to have all three. And sometimes you need the discipline of God. And sometimes he's weird. He uses the strangest people to kick you up the backside. Mark Rivera in Puerto Rico talking to me about shell gas. I rest my case. And yet you learn, you grow, and you need to be hungry for growth. You need to be hungry for God. You need to be hungry for all of these things. And if you're only hungry for one, you'll fail. And Paul hits us off. Stay out of spiritual arguments. Can I say this? If there was a, a bee's nest in the corner of that room, or a demon's nest in the corner of that room, you know what I've discovered? Demons are going to be with us until the last days. I used to go and take big bricks and have great rejoicing in throwing bricks at those, those demon nests. Well, guess what happens when you start throwing bricks at demon's nests? Like bees. We're all going to get stung. And you're out that door flapping bees off your head. And yet Jesus said, these things are, 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 are part of the picture. Seek first the kingdom of God. Go after him and all his righteousness. Go after the life giver. Go after the king of kings. Go after the kingdom of God. And guess what happens? They let the bees be. If a bee buzzes around you, we'll deal with it when it comes. But let's not go looking for fights with bees when we don't need to be fighting with bees or demons. And let's not go looking for things that are only angels. And that little girl that I went to talk to with the crystals was all into her angels. And I know they weren't the angels that God sent. And I was able to explain through relationship and a conversation over a period of time that, hey, who you're actually accessing your power from. And I read her the story of Simon the Sorcerer. And I said, there's spirituality and then there's spirituality. 
what you've got isn't, isn't true. What do you think it is? He was so eager to learn. You know what to learn? The world is eager to learn spiritual things. But if you're weird, they'll run a mile. But give them Jesus. Give them the healer. Give them that. And get excited about doing it. Why would they not want to follow him? The problem is, what's your culture coming out of you? If you look like a grumpy bear when you go in the shop, or don't have time for people. If you ever, just watch it. If you're ever in Tesco's or Asda or wherever it is you go, Sainsbury's, take, take a look at the checkout. Just have a look at the people. Don't go to the cell scanner. That's for wimps. Go take some time in the queue. Have a chat with a teller in the bank. I love going to the bank. Hundreds of people in the queue on a Friday afternoon. You're like, oh, for dear sake. Oh, no, not me. Like, yes. I clear an arm and die. Let's see how many conversations I get going. You get excited about having conversations in the queue. You don't need to be amazing. And guess what? After you go back to the bank a few times, guess who's in the bank at the, usually the same time you're in there? All the same people. And after a while, they get to know you and go, ah. And you, you, you develop relationship and you grow and you develop it and you grow and you develop and you grow and you learn a bit more and you grow. But if you just come to learn, you're stuck. If you just live enough to the demons and the, and, the, and the spiritual, you'll get stuck. If you're just here to learn the word and the word is it, and we get those people, read the word, get the word, everyone else will all go away. No, it's not. It's all three of them. And let's go after it. And cautions, go home and read it. Just study it and get a concordance or download something in your, in your Bible app or something and study the depths behind it. It is an incredible book. And I'm only sad that I didn't do any justice. Right, time to go. Let's pray. Let's stand. Father, I thank you for a mature church. And I pray today you'd make us more mature, Lord, more more eager, more keen for you, God. Let us seek first your kingdom and all that we do, Lord. And the lessons of the church in Colossae is that we just we just know you in your fullness, God. Help us to live it, live in it, walk in it, schools out. Help us to, to not want to live here anymore, but to move on into your kingdom. 